Welcome to ATP Tennis Radio, and what a day of action we've had. 40-30, one four, Songa second serve on the forehand here, Pre this clips the tape, and drops short, Songa can't get there. Blocks it back up the line this time to Songa, now goes the forehand up the line to the backhand, and Pre this takes it there, drops short, does Songa get there, he does, he drifts the ball up the line, and beautiful cross-court forehand winner from Pui, he's feeling it at the moment. 6-1, and now one all in the second set here on ATP Tennis Radio. He's got a second serve here, Pui. Onto the backhand of Songa. Up the middle of the court, lands on the line. Now a slice backhand from Songa. Cross court, slice there from Pui. He's looking to come in up the line, Songa. Pui goes back up that line for a winner. Chance here to win his first ATP 500 title, Luca Pui. As he serves, first serve going into the net. As he prepares a second serve, backhand slice there from Songa. Well long, and Luca Pui has done it. His third title in 2017, his first win over due, Wilfred Songa, in his third attempt. And that was an assured performance today, getting the job done. 6-1, 6-4. locked in. Federer twiddling the racket down in front of us, waiting for this serve. It comes to his backhand, he blocks it. Down the middle, heavy forehand out wide. That's a great chance. Federer makes the reply somehow. Federer this time passes him the other way. Oh my goodness, what poise and brilliant from the hero here in Basel. Their man has broken again and he will serve for the opening set 5 4. 34. Made the return to Delpotro pretty deep. Gets another forehand in play. Comes strongly from Federer. But Federer now angrily having hit long then hits the spare ball hard down towards the back wall near Del Potro, and it is five, five games all. Federer serving at 3-2, return comes to his backhand, he flicks that up the line, then goes with his forehand the other way, slice from Del Potro running around, Del Potro has to then cover across on his forehand side, both of them trying to work an advantage here, both of them behind the line, Del Potro drives one deep into the back and he just skims over the net from Federer who's pinned into that corner but hits his way out of that, comes forward, whips one to the uh, backhand corner, the lob though from Del Potro lands in play, Federer just bumps it back with the forehand, Del Potro drives it into the corner, it comes back to Del Potro's forehand, Federer there, driving long, what a point! And it's Del Potro with another first serve to come now on this set point. Big one to the backhand, return in the net. It is Del Potro's set on the tiebreak. And watching this intently, the return comes to the backhand. Slice of Del Potro, a chip, angled cross from Federer's forehand. Now he goes to the backhand wing. Del Potro drives it back deep, but there's the covering volley again. So strong from Federer. And every time he's been asked to make that play, he has done so with aplomb. Del Potro. Hits it now to the backhand, the return comes to his forehand, he goes big into the forehand corner, blocked back by Federer short, big forehand drive from Del Potro inside the baseline, just Federer manages to defend, but then Del Potro hits long, and Federer jogs back to the chair, all square with Del Potro. They are going to play a decider in Basel once again. Big chance now bigger for Federer, facing a second serve. He's up on the line, just behind it, comes forward, hits the backhand drive return cross, and the slice is in the net, and that was the one, and I was just thinking, when is Federer going to use that drive backhand again? Because, of course, 
It's been one of the key shots of this season. He serves out wide, forehand reply, goes long! Arms aloft, it's Roger Federer who reigns again in his hometown. Basel belongs to him for the eighth time. Over the course of the next half hour or so, we'll look back at events in Basel and Vienna and ahead to the Rolex Paris Masters, the next-gen ATP Finals and the season-ending Nitto ATP Finals. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Available on the official website and apps, TuneIn Radio and in-home via Sonos, Google Home and Amazon Echo. I'm Barry Milnes and alongside me is Naomi Cavaday and we look back first, Naomi, at uh, events we've just witnessed in Basel, a final of uh, some magnitude between two of the heavyweights, Roger Federer and Juan Martín Del Potro. And to see uh, Del Potro start in the way he did to keep coming back at Federer, take that first set, then look like he might have the measure of it in the second, only for Federer to turn it around and ultimately come through. Some story again by the Swiss Meister. There was, there was so many ups and downs, weren't there? And uh, it has to be said, Federer didn't play that great for a lot of the match early on. He really found his level in the third set but lots of unforced errors coming from the racket of Roger Federer, but he kept the score really close, even though it, it felt like Del Potro was winning quite comfortably, but actually the score was just, just kept ticking over in Roger Federer's favor. So even though he lost that first set, he kept it close in the second set as well. And then he, when he got it together and found his quality, managed to make his move and break away. And that is just such a brilliant thing. And that is why he is such a champion is when he's playing badly, don't let the opponent get too far ahead because when he hit his good patch, then he was able to break away himself. It creates such mental pressure, doesn't it? Because Del Potro sort of knew that Federer hasn't gone away. You know, I've not been able to brush him aside in straight sets. And of course, most recently in Shanghai, Federer did come back there and beat him in three. So it kind of was all weighing on his mind. And did we see signs of that towards the end? Did you feel Del Potro, the mistakes coming more from him that finally, as strong as he is mentally, that pressure did tell. Yeah, I think so. I think mentally and physically he's a bit drained as well. And I think he gave everything in the first couple of sets. And, and in the third, he just really ran out of steam a little bit. He was given a break early on from Federer, really, the first game of that third set. But he didn't really earn it. And, and to be honest, throughout the third set, he was a little flatter and just struggling to maintain the quality. But then also Federer had upped it in the third level himself and it just swung that way. It was perfectly poised, but you felt like Del Potro is maybe playing at his maximum because he is a little bit tired and and he has played so many matches coming in and that Federer was playing well well within himself actually probably not even particularly well for a lot of it and still it was such a tight match and also Federer should have won the first set being a breakup serving for it early on as well so it, it was uh, yeah it was Del Potro just desperately hanging in as long as he could and he just ran out in the end ran out of time well Basel wasn't the only place to be today Vienna Prior to that, the final there, the all-French affair between Joe Wilfred Songa and Luca Puy. Songa coming into that match as the favourite. He'd beaten Puy on both of their previous encounters with the same score, four and four. But today, it, it went awry very early for Joe, didn't it? He, he had the early chance, didn't break through, and then Puy did break him. And from there, we saw Songa unravelling. He got very perturbed by... Uh, the umpire, didn't he? And just some of the calls and some of the, the sort of the indications that would be coming from the chair umpire to uh, balls that were perhaps good and just gesturing that they were OK mid-rally. And it just seemed to really throw Joe off his, his best track. Yeah, he was picking fights today and he just wasn't comfortable at all from the very, very beginning. There was a, a call on 
the uh, second point of the entire match that he could have challenged. He, uh, he would have been right to challenge, but that's what the challenges are for. You can't have a go at the umpire about that, really. But he just wasn't in the right sort of mood, right frame of mind for that match, which was really a surprise considering the quality he'd produced all week. He was playing so well, had beaten you know quality players in Sasha Zverev and, and Hashinov and uh, really thought that Puy would have a, a tough, tough task. But as it stood, Tonga unraveled, started misfiring, lots and lots of errors reeling off very quickly and just couldn't get it back together again. Puy play, played a very tidy match. Yes, I was going to say, I mean, it's one thing for, you know, to focus on Joe, but actually what Puy did, he came out with a very aggressive mindset, didn't he? He had to sort of almost push himself out of his comfort zone. He was coming in a lot as well, trying to do, you know, finish things early, just really take the attack to Songa, who we know is a very aggressive player anyway. And, yeah. and he achieved that very well. Yeah, and in the previous meetings, Songa's just knocked straight through him with his power. And uh, Puy likes to sit back a little bit more, but he knew he'd have to push himself out of his comfort zones today. And he did that really, really well and he took the game to Songa and then because he did that a slightly uncomfortable Songa things just got worse and worse and worse if Pui sat back gave Songa time gave him rhythm and gave him some unforced errors and some cheap points well then it's very easy for an out of sorts Songa to start feeling a lot better about themselves quite quickly and then suddenly you're in a really tough battle so Pui did a really good job of shutting him down and both will be in Paris uh, with the uh, the uh, Rolex Paris Masters uh, to come over the next week, and and both actually still in in with a with a chance perhaps to to qualify. Certainly, Songa better plays than Puy, but I think mathematically, you know, there could still be a way for for him, and that would be some achievement were he to do it uh, in in the next week. But uh, that's uh, still to come. This is ATP Tennis Radio. They are the Golden Nine a prestigious collection of ATP World Tour Masters 1000 tournaments, hosted in the world's most spectacular venues and cities. Contested by only the world's very best, this is their exclusive playground. Coming at you from Indian Wells. Let's get it started. From Miami to Monte Carlo. Bang. Thank you, Monte Carlo. Get ready, Madrid. Game, set, match, Madrid. New balls, please, for Rome. Grazie, Roma. See you in Canada. On to you, Cincinnati. Hi from Cincinnati. Get ready for Shanghai. From Shanghai to Paris. From Paris to London. It's been an Annus Mirabilis for Roger Federer and earlier in the Basel event we managed to spend some time with the Swiss maestro and speak to him about his season as a whole. I thought that uh, Murray was going to have a great season and Novak as well. So they were going to be one and two fighting for world number one rankings. Uh, Babrinka in the mix, you know, uh, well, he was a, US, a reigning US Open champion. I knew that Rafa and myself were going to be, you know, in the conversation, hopefully in the top five, top ten. Um, but not like this, you know, we couldn't predict that they were not going to have a good season. You couldn't really predict for Rafa and myself to have the season that we did have. And I honestly didn't plan to have a reduced schedule. Only after winning um, Australia, Indian Wells and Miami, uh, I could take a decision to play a lighter schedule throughout the clay court season. That was never really my plan. So um, it just happened the way it was. And then I was able to sort of pace myself and just get up for the big moments and I played very well there, uh, still am, so I hope we can finish strong at the end of the season. When you, when you analyse the season, what do you think has been the key 
to your success this season? I think I'm rejuvenated from you know a, a tough year last year. I came through it uh, strong. Um, I was always, I always had a positive mindset. I guess being out eight months of the season was uh, you know was a lot. So I think I made the most of that, working really hard, staying positive, and then when I did come back, that I was hungry and I had the fire to actually play well. And uh, in the big moments, I was calm, I was composed, I believed I could do it, and. Uh, you know, and I guess because I, I had extra energy, because I wasn't just worn out from so many matches. Actually, I was fresh and uh, all ended up perfect, so I can't, I can't believe it right now. <laughs> it's an approach that's worked. Are you already thinking of a similar approach for next season? Um, we had meetings, you know, about how we could attack next season. Uh, I know I'm going to start with the Hopman Cup and uh, the Australian Open. Um, some tournaments are set in stone, some others I'm just trying to find out what the best solution is for, you know, for, my, for my playing schedule, for my family, uh, for my body, for my mind, what am I in the, in the mood to do because at this stage of my career I also need to do the things I, I want to do and not because I have to do them. So um, I'm looking at all the options but uh, could be something similar, could be something totally different at this point I don't know yet. Looking ahead to um, the Nitto ATP Finals in London. You've already qualified for that, so you're going to be back there. Are you excited about going back to London? Very excited to be back, yeah. Uh, I love playing at uh, NITO, uh, you know, ATP World Tour Finals. Um, I love playing there. Uh, my first uh, uh, qualification for that was back in 2002, so a long, long time ago. And I've always played very well there. I have a great record. And uh, I won it twice in London, twice in Shanghai, twice in Houston. So I'd love to win again, of course. And it's nice to know that you're already qualified. It settles the nerves a little bit here in the indoor season, at the end of the season. So uh, I hope uh, to, to be really healthy for that because that's the big, big goal for me at the end of the season, trying to win that. It would be amazing, you know, uh, finish to the season. But I know other players have the same idea, so we'll see what happens. Well, I guess we shouldn't have been surprised with what he has managed to achieve in 2017. And yet, you know, the way he came back from that uh, long layoff and started so strongly in Australia, and it's just gone on from there, Naomi. It's incredible. It's just extraordinary. I mean, you just, it's been going on and on, and we think surely it just can't keep lasting like this. But the, the level that he's found, the tennis that he's playing is some of the best we've ever seen from him as well. Uh, and at, at his age, with the injuries and everything, I think it was interesting, though, that he did mention at the beginning of the year he was expecting Murray and Djokovic to be fighting out for the world number one because as much as what he's done has been brilliant and you can't take away from it because you can only play who's in front of you, they have been absent and they're not the only ones who have been absent. Favrinka's been very injured as well. Uh, you know, plenty of the top 10 have been struggling. But if we just look at the top ones, I mean, it's not like the big four have been around all year. And if they have been, they've been very much struggling. Um, so that uh, it, it would have been really interesting to see what would have happened if we would have had a fully fit Djokovic and Murray starting the year number one. And if he was continuing on the form from last year, plus obviously Rafa back in business as well, all four of them, well, that would have been very interesting indeed. But then look at it a different way, absentees aside, could you say that Federer is playing better now than he has ever done? Yeah, I, I think he is, uh, and I, I think he's always been improving, really. Um, I think his, his backhand is firing a lot better, particularly on the return of serve. I think that was a very small, small, tiny glimmer of hope for anyone playing against him was if you can get it to a particular spot on the backhand, you might get a, a, a not uh, brutal shot back at you. But now that seems to have been really sewn up pretty nicely. Uh, he's done a lot of work on that when he was injured last year. but. Uh, 
he is playing better than ever. And it's not to say that he wouldn't be the, the player of the year if they were back playing as well, because the level of tennis he's playing, I think he's playing probably better than they were playing last year or the year before for Djokovic maybe so I do think he would still be coming out on top okay Rafa is sitting at the top of the rankings but Federer has of course been very selective with his tournament schedule so I think overall Federer has been the player of the year I think if Marian Djokovic were back he still would be the player of the year but wouldn't have picked up as many titles because they would have inevitably won some as well and the smartest move perhaps is that avoidance of the clay court swing because he got so much confidence from all the wins he'd had over Rafa on the hard courts he didn't need to play the clay you know, and he's gone on to do everything so he's got in Rafa's head now hasn't he whereas in the past at times it's been the other way around yeah it, it was such an interesting move not playing the clay I mean obviously a very smart one indeed but it takes a lot of guts when when you're in that world and you've got coaches and sponsors and agents and people that want to see you in tournaments and he's won Roland Garros before it, it's not as if he can't win the tournament um, and uh, for him to say that he's not going to play was a really strong stance to take but then actually I think in hindsight he's probably thinking why didn't I do this a few years ago <laughs> Well, players from both the Basel and Vienna events have made a late push in the race to London standings and with two spaces still to be filled, can Federer's opponent in the Basel final, Juan Martín del Potro, claim one of those spots? Well, uh, I'm not thinking too much about uh, qualifying in London. Uh, it's not one of my, my goals for this year, but I know I'm getting closer to, uh, for that. Maybe I go to play in Paris, but uh, my biggest goal is finish healthy the year, uh, be ready for the next season, and and then everything will come alone if I'm still playing good tennis. I have to do a very strong pre-season. I think I will do it in Tandil, uh, which is my hometown. And then I have uh, many, many tournaments to play next year because I, I didn't play the Australian Open and many other tournaments this year. And if I start well uh, next year, I, I will have the chance to, to get closer to the top 10 guys and could be one of my, my biggest goals for the next season. A remarkable man, he really is, the Tower of Tandil, Juan Martín del Potro. And to think, Naomi, that just before the US Open, the end of August, he was 47th in the race for London. And now here he is possibly going to get into uh, the last qualifying place. I know, it's just been so frustrating for him, hasn't it? I mean, it really, ever since his comeback, his, uh, his ranking hasn't really reflected the level of player he's been. And, and he's had injury interruptions. And, and in 2016, he had unbelievable wins over everybody. Uh, apart from Murray, I think it was, but he ha he'd beaten everybody uh, in uh, various different tournaments. But a lot of them were in tournaments where he didn't pick up any points. They were Davis Cup or they, it was the Olympics. So um, his ranking was still really low. Um, and then this year, it, it's been, I think, a story of the injuries have just been interrupting his momentum and his flow. And it's just been really nice to see that we've got this good run going on from Del Potro. He's, of course, coming off the win in Stockholm. He's feeling very good indeed. And um, it... I, 
yeah, I mean, being 47 on the race is just not right. I mean, it's obviously right <laughs> mathematically, but it just doesn't make any sense. He should have absolutely been in the top 20 uh, looking to push forward. So it's great that he's now in the picture. I think everybody would love to see him at the ATP Tour finals. And uh, I think that uh, he would have a chance of winning the whole thing. He really would, uh, you know, that sort of surface. So, um, yeah, really exciting. Indeed. Well, one of the men Juan Martín del Potro will be looking to displace is the Spaniard, Pablo Carreno Busta, who lost early in Vienna, but is hoping to rediscover his recent good form for the final push. I think uh, this is going maybe my, well, for sure, my, my, best, my best season. Uh, I played really good uh, during the, the first six months. Then I, have a, I had a, a injured, but then in US Open I come back stronger, I think, and well, uh, I'm, I think my goal at the, at the, at the beginning of the, of the season was to be in the top 15, more or less, and I did it. So now I just try to enjoy it, and of course I have the opportunity to be on the, on the NITO final, so I will fight for it. Yeah, you, you mentioned there, like you, you feel like you've already exceeded your goals. So with the fact that you've already done that, is that just giving you a lot more freedom to, to, to relax and you know bring on even more kind of possibilities? Yeah, I, it's tough, no, when you play for for something like this, for for play, for being to be in the in the new finals is is a lot of pressure and is uh, something that I never imagined when I start the the season. So it's, it's, it was it was uh, really tough to me uh, to be focused just on, on the matches, to be focused on the practice uh, after the US Open, but let's go for it. You, there's a lot of guys fighting for those kind of final spots, right? And you, you're right, you know, you're, so, you're close, you're, so, you're right on the cusp, but if you were to do it, how, how special would that be for you? Well, I, I just need to to play like uh, one or two months before no uh, after us open i i injured again i was one month out without practicing and was tough for me to to come back on the tournaments i need to to get ridden to get confidence again and i think i will do it pablo carreno busto still hoping to uh, be amongst the elite eight in london at the end of the season, but Naomi, only one win for him since that uh, run to the US Open semi-finals, so uh, things have stalled rather. Yes, really hasn't been able to back it up. It's been frustrating, I think, for the Booster fans. And uh, But he still has a chance, absolutely. I mean, but we are at the indoor season. It's not necessarily where he's uh, going to thrive, uh, you know, on these courts. But he, I think he really needs to pick up a few more wins uh, in Paris to uh, really secure that spot because we've got a, a few great players looming. And, of course, with so many points on offer in Paris, I think there's going to be a lot of shuffling around, especially at the bottom of that race. But, I mean, if... If he got to the, the final eight in London, it would just be extraordinary. I don't think anyone would have called that at the beginning of the year. And, and actually, I think he really is a story of the year. I think it's very much been dominated by the top couple, particularly Federer and Nadal. But uh, he's been a great breakthrough to, to see, really. I think uh, it's been a very strong 2017. And a couple of uh, towering players who'd also like to get there. Sam Querrey, Kevin Anderson, they're still very much in the mix. Well, almost there in London, but not quite just yet, is the Belgian... David Goffin. Yeah, I'm thinking about the, the ATP finals all the time, but uh, you know, I have to uh, 
uh, I have to, to, to be focused on um, uh, yeah, just match after match. You know, it's, it's still it's close, but still far. I have to stay really focused on what I have to do. It's uh, it, it's tough to um, when you think about the ATP finals, you're not 100% focused on the tournaments before, and it's it's really really important to stay focused. I'm in a good position to be there. It would be a, a dream dream come true to be uh, in the top eight and uh, to be part of the, the ATP finals. So uh, uh, I will give everything to, to be there and uh, if, if, if I'm in it, it's, it's going to be uh, unbelievable. Does it give an added pressure? Are you thinking about it for every, does every game, every match now have added significance, added importance? Yeah, every match is important, uh, but I just don't want to have regrets, so I'm just going to uh, give everything on the court. Um, the, of course, the result is uh, is really important, but the attitude is more important. What I have to, uh, how I have to behave on the the court, and uh, after that, if I have no regrets, it's it's not a problem. So Goffin coming up uh, slightly short in Basel, but hoping that he still will be able to get the points to get into London. And I guess he might have already had those points had he not uh, got that uh, unfortunate injury in Paris. Yes, I know. Um, but again, a r another really solid year for him, though. The whole season, he's just Mr. Consistent in terms of the performances. His name's always going deep in the draws and he scored some really big wins as well. So it, I think, yeah, I mean, it would seem wrong if he wasn't in the final eight in, in London almost, but with uh, the couple of players knocking on the door, um, you could understand if he did get pushed out of, of that position. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, again, just week in, week out, Goffin, he's just been working away, working away. And, and his game is just, each time I see him play, it's just ever so slightly more aggressive, more aggressive. And it's, uh, it's interesting to see. Well, another player having a career best season is the Croatian, Marin Cilic. I think uh, in these last six months my tennis has been improving. I was playing really consistent, which is something extremely important for the tour uh, and for me moving to this position. And so uh, that is my goal to keep going with this uh, game. Uh, I think I'm playing better and better on these big tournaments and that's something that I was looking forward to. And uh, always, uh, you know, this end of the year is very entertaining, very interesting. And so hopefully I can uh, have similar results or even better like last year. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can play really well in this indoor season too. The end of the year, as you say, very interesting. Everyone's mm -hmm. attention is yeah. focusing on the ATP uh, finals in London. Um, are you? Does it make you approach your your tennis in a different way? Are you always thinking about London now? Uh, well, at the uh, beginning of the season, that was my goal to reach London, and now I'm, that's going to be uh, amazing achievement for me, uh, fulfilling my goal. And uh, as I said, uh, you know, when you are at the beginning of the season uh, and, and uh, having that kind of a goal, it is something very, very good for me in my own game. I know that I reached all the things that I wanted to reach during the season and I improved with my own game. So uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. And obviously playing always in London is, is a special feeling. I had a great summer over there this year and uh, hopefully I can have a, a good winter as well. What will qualify the season as a success for you? Um, just in terms of ranking, uh, this is the first season that I have started the year in top 10 and going to finish in top 10 
first one in career for me so it just means a lot in terms of consistency in terms of my tennis and improvement and uh, obviously playing in London again uh, is going to give me good motivation for next year as well hopefully this year I can uh, play in Paris as well uh, to just give me that uh, really good confidence that I need to have uh, in order to play the best tennis against the best guys in the world. That was Marin Cilic and you're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. The future of tennis is now. The rulebook rewritten. Eight new stars are emerging to carve up the court. What a strike. Their game is fierce with attitude, hungry to take the spotlight. The court is ablaze with music and lights. It's like nothing you've seen before. The game has changed. Next Gen ATP Finals. Get your tickets now at nextgenatpfinals.com. So still plenty of top action to come over the next seven days as the Rolex Paris Masters gets underway with those all-important ranking points still on offer. Naomi, we can look at the draw here. I mean, who do you think will be joining Federer, Nadal, Alex Zverev, Dominic Thiem, Grigor Dimitrov and Marin Cilic in London? I don't know. I just don't know. It's completely People open. People are Sorry. counting <laughs> on you to come up with the answers. <laughs> well, uh, ask me in a few days. Um, Obviously, Karina Busta, Goffin, those are well, Goffin, Karina Busta, those are the guys in in the next position. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would probably tip Goffin. I mean, you've got Goffin and Songa in the same section, and they would play each other in the third round. So that will be really important with them both being in with a shout. I I feel like just based on the level of play through the year and who deserves to be there for me, it's Goffin. I think that he's been very consistent. He's picked up titles. He's beaten some really strong players. But Booster has had such a fantastic year for him as well. And uh, and Songa has been underestimated because he hasn't done so well in the majors. People think he's had quite a quiet year when he hasn't. He's picked up loads. He's picked up four titles and has done uh, very, very well indeed. But my pick would be Goffin. Okay, well, Goffin is actually in the same little section as Songa, so they could meet as early as the, uh, the third round in Paris. So that uh, might have great significance as to the race for London. But looking up into the top half of the draw, Pablo Carreno Busta, the eighth seed in Paris. Uh, all the top seeds, the top 16, are given buys into the second round. So he will face in his opening match either uh, Nicola Mahou or uh, Vasek Pospisil. They'll play for the right to face him. Sam Querrey, who's another contender for London. I mean, what a season he's had. He's the 10th seed. He's not out of contention. He could face Karina Busta also in the third round. And then they are in the same top quarter, of course, as the world number one, Rafael Nadal. And Albert Ramos Vinolis is up there as well, as well as some of the youngsters who have uh, coming through for Milan. But uh, that is the top half. You look at the bottom half, though, the likes of uh, Kevin Anderson, who's another in contention. Chilich and team, they've already qualified. In that bottom half, you've got an interesting section with Anderson, as you say, is in with a shout of making uh, London. And team is in his section and I would pick him as the favourite to beat team uh, based on team's recent form particularly on, on the indoors as well so he could come through and pick up some major points. And uh, just to remind you that our coverage uh, starts at 10.30 uh, Central European time from Paris on Monday with all the action on ATP Tennis Radio. But as to Paris in the build-up, we've had the chance, or Seb Lozier has done it for us, of talking to the tournament director Guy Forger. Well, you know, we were stressed for the last uh, few days because, you know, we're getting the, the site ready, putting the courts down. It's a lot of work. I mean, the teams have done a, a fantastic job. And, you know, the, the, the players start to come, you know, one after another. And Rafa has been playing twice already. 
we had a little concern about his knee because we knew he pulled out of Basel so uh, there was a bit of concern there you know when you have the number one player in the world you want to have him you know uh, uh, playing in your tournament and then uh, most of the French guys are playing which is a good news for Deliska playing really well right now because you know Songa won the last week an ATP event so you know things so far are looking pretty good I wanted to ask you about the French players a little bit later, if I may. Just talking first of all about the changes that have been made, big changes really since last year. Um, first of all, the courts, striking change. Well, you know, we've changed the colour. We have, uh, you know, with, uh, with Rolex, a new title sponsor, and very, we're very happy to have them on board because, you know, they, they're doing a great job in sports in general and in, in tennis and in golf at Wimbledon. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we did a partnership for 10 years with them. So it, it's very uh, thrilling to, to, to to look ahead um, and we are of course you know changing the color so we look a bit more like grass now we have a lot of, of green on the court so we change the color um, so it really I mean comes up really nicely on television as you mentioned you know the the Aco Hotel I ran into a brand new site so it's really uh, tremendous and, and, and the players that are coming every year now you know really appreciate the fact that it's a lot more comfortable it's roomier uh, and you know we're still working on making better for the years to come I, I read somewhere that you enjoy surprising the players doing things to, to change uh, what can the players expect and, and the fans also that might be a little bit different this year uh, you, you know the thing is actually the way the, the ATP is run it, it, I mean they're doing a fantastic job you know I've been playing on the tour from 82 all the way to early 97 and and uh, I thought it was good then but when I see the facilities and the way uh, you know the tournaments are run right now all around the world it, it, it's wonderful uh, but you know we are in competition against one another and we are all trying to welcome the players every year with the best of comfort we want them to enjoy our tournament uh, whether it's the hotels whether it's the food the practice the facility the physiotherapist you know we want them to really perform at a high level and we all know how sensitive they can be how confidence can play a big role within the game so we want to make sure that every year not to surprise them but that they really enjoy their time in Paris and you know the staff of the French Tennis Federation I think is doing a really good job there's more money as well we should probably say that a lot more money this year but it's an indoor event uh, there aren't many on tour how do the players enjoy playing indoors well, you know, when I played, I really did enjoy it a lot. I think um, uh, when you see the tour finals in London, uh, I mean, it's uh, the best of the best. And uh, I mean, the quality of the tennis, to be honest, is probably uh, better than any other event. Because, you know, a lot of times you play and it's windy and it's hot like Australia. Uh, it's very humid like in New York. Um, and, and the conditions vary, you know, day after, after day. So the good thing about indoors is you know when you're going to play. You know, there'll be no wind, the light. It's perfect, no bad bounce because it's you know on, on a hard surface, and and some players really like it. Uh, some some players excel on the indoor tournaments. Uh, I mean, you look at the results of Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic. You know, some players have a tendency to actually uh, play their best indoors, and I think there's room in the calendar for some really big indoor tournaments. So we're proud to be the only Master Thousand actually to be indoors. You mentioned the players last year here, Andy and Novak riding high. How things can change in 12 months? It's incredible. Isn't it, it is incredible because you know every, everyone thought that at the end of the year, uh, you know Murray being number one, uh, he was a bit younger than Roger, of course, and uh, there was a Zverev and the Curios, you know, coming along as well. And so, oh, you know, next year we could have, uh, you know, Novak and Andy dominating the game with the new players, and out of nowhere, you know, Rafael Nadal is winning two majors, Roger is winning Australia and Wimbledon, and they they're playing their best tennis. So, I mean, it's amazing to see how fast you know things can change in our sport. Uh, and of course, 
the young players that I've just mentioned and, and, and Dominic team as well, among others, you know, will at one point as well, you know, sneak in and, and win major tournaments. So, you know, that's where we stand. I think that, that's what makes the, the show and tennis so exciting right now. You also mentioned that, uh, you know, you're ahead of London. Um, two places still up for grabs um, and lots of players making a late charge. Among them, you mentioned Joe Wilfred Songer, you know, and Juan Martín del Potro. It's going to be exciting, isn't it? It's going to go down to the wire. Well, that's one of the positive sides about our tournament. You know, we, we've had in the past some withdrawals from players that were injured because, you know, f- of course, when you've been playing so many months on the tour, your body's a little fatigued and you have some injuries which is what happened to uh, Andy and, and Novak this year and Sadovrinka, by the way. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, you have the, some spots that are still to be taken for the Tour Finals. So there is a lot of, of um, question mark and, and, and um, s- uh, players to watch for, for these reasons. And, and when you are a top 10 player or just outside of the top 10, you know you can make that tournament in London. I mean, you, you're among the best players of the game and you can be part of history because this is a little cast of players that are actually played the tour finals and there are not that many of them so that's, that's how um, uh, these guys will walk on the court with that in mind and that's I think makes that tournament a bit special as well just finally, Guy, I, I wanted to ask you as a former Davis Cup captain for France obviously the, the Davis Cup big game coming up um, the, the draw here is, is stacked with Frenchmen, really exciting throughout. Any that we should perhaps look forward to watching who the, the listeners may not be that aware of? Well, you know, Yannick Noah will come in a few days and I'm sure he'll be scratching his head knowing who he's going to pick on the team. Because on one hand, he has a doubles team of guys who actually are playing the tour finals with Nicolas Mahou and Pierre-Hugues Herbert. And they've been, you know, playing most of the Davis Cup matches. But if he does that, he only has two spots for singles players. So now who's going to choose between Songa, which I think lose really good right now and Lucas Puy and Richard Gasquet who's playing well again and of course Gael Monfils who's apparently in great shape and could have a good run here um, at the Rolex Paris Masters so uh, that makes it very exciting Uh, and you don't want when you're a captain I can tell you that I don't want to make the wrong choices because when you're in that finals against Belgium playing at home you know you have a very good chance of lifting the trophy so uh, you know once again that's why you know I think this week's going to be really special for a lot of people Thanks very much. Enjoy Thank you so the week. much. Thank you. Great as ever to hear from Guy Forger heading into Paris. And that's just about it for today. My thanks to Naomi Cabernet and Peter Mercado. You can follow all the drama to come on ATP Tennis Radio, where we'll bring you live commentary from the final event on the road to London with 1,000 points up for grabs at the Rolex Paris Masters. Listen to ATP Tennis Radio on atpworldtour.com on TuneIn or on the Tennis TV app as a free-to-listen option. Enjoy the tennis. See you next week. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio, available on the official websites and apps, on TuneIn and iTunes.